Better listen very carefully. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Essentially, at this point, the fight is over. So you pretty much flow with the goal. Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power? I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Bulletproof for BJJ podcast. I am JT. What's up, guys? I'm Joey. And today we are going to discuss why blue belts quit BJJ. Aha, this is a good topic. It is a cultural phenomena. Uh, and if you don't know about it, you, you're about to find out. There's a thing that happens in jiu-jitsu where people train, they work hard, they've been in their white belt forever, and they finally, they finally attain the holy land, the, the rank of blue belt, and then they just dematerialize. <laughs> they just evaporate and never return to training. They've well, made it. Well, the joke is, is that the jiu-jitsu community needs to storm Area 51 because apparently that's where all the blue belts are hiding. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. What is it? Like blue belt is the uh, black belt for quitters. That's <laughs> something like that. Now, Mate, guys, it's, it's so true. It is. Think, right? think you, I mean, for us now, having trained for so long, sure. you can look back at how many like blue belts you've known yep. that just never went on beyond that. Yeah. They disappeared and, you know, whatever. Like it's not like everyone has to get to black belt, but there is a distinct thing that occurs at blue that we're going to talk about. Definitely. Where, I don't know, it's, it becomes easy to kind of step away from the game. Definitely, because it is an achievement, no question. It's your first true achievement in jiu-jitsu, isn't it? Because it you, is. you get the white belt for free. Yes. But the blue belt is the first thing you are like graduated to. De- definitely. And look, it, it can be a long road for some people. They might be on their white belt a long time. And then the blue belt is like recognition. Yeah, it's not like you've made it, but it's like, yes, you have achieved a level above when you walked in the door. But it sets up a problem mentally. I think we might dig into a, a real life case Ooh. that has occurred. No, a blue belt dissing, disappearing. Yeah, I used to train with a guy. <laughs> really great guy. Beautiful. This is the eulogy. Even did a bit of bulletproof. Amazing. Came to the small groups, got strong. God. Mobile. Yeah. All of the attributes. Seemed that like are, a nice guy. Yeah, like was really on that purple belt trajectory. Of course. You know, lockdown came and that was very unfortunate. Of course. Lockdown ended, but he still hasn't resurfaced from the lockdown. Right. He's a great man. His name his name was Jake O'Neill. <laughs> was. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a fucking legend, but yeah, he hasn't come back. May he rest in peace in his blue belt. That's right. Up there with all the other blue belts, <laughs> avoiding the tough rolls, not doing the warm up. <laughs> um, Fuck yeah, he's copped so much shit at our academy. <laughs> and it's all, I mean, he's in a poor guy too because yeah. him and Dan were, I believe, were Adam's, our, my coach, our friend, Adam Child's first blue belts. Right. So, you know, and they were like the first two members at the gym. So they've had like special pressure put on them yes. to be, you know, to uphold the stand and that kind of thing. And so it's like, well, where the fuck's Jake? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, there's nothing like the peer pressure of the team to make you go to training. Why is it that this phenomena is such? So what we should look at here is this is something I've thought about a fair bit because it also happens within like life in general and this happens to us all as humans is this problem of attainment. We get really focused on attainment, whether it's money, uh, a promotion, uh, whatever it might be, a car, a job, some form of thing that we assign our happiness to. We go, I'm not going to be happy 
until I get that thing, like a level of dissatisfaction, which in some ways is good because it drives you. But here is the deal. By the time you get there, you you don't you get the thing and you're like, oh, I've got I've got the thing. It doesn't nothing change it. Like, even though there could be relief or a bit of joy. You're still you. It's pretty short-lived, yeah. And so actually I'm gonna reference a, an amazing classic moment in uh, cinema history. Mm. I'm gonna throw you back to the early 90s. Oh. Cool runnings. Ah. Right. So for those of you who do not know, this is the uh, Disney fictional film. Well, it's semi-fictional, but it's based on a real thing that happened. What are you talking about for that? Everyone fucking knows Cool Runnings. Hey, man, if you don't – well, look, some Jamaican bobsled team. Yeah, bro. And uh, Cool Runnings. It was a great I – went, I went and saw it with one of my first girlfriends. Oh, wow. There you I go. Remember, I remember I, I worked real fucking hard, the courage, to put my <laughs> arm around her in the movie. Oh, and uh, I threw it over there and, you know, she didn't knock it back. So oh. I was like, we're good. And her head was resting on my bicep. Yeah. It was just, you know, like yeah, yeah, a skinny little noodle arm at the time. Not, not the fucking quivering <laughs> mass that you see <laughs> before you now. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I put my arm there and I was so nervous to get it there that I'm like, now that it's here, I can't take it away. <laughs> and all I remember is by the end of the film, I was in excruciating pain. You, you lost all feeling. And I, and I was like, oh, I lifted my arm. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I, I, had a similar, I had a similar thing. First girlfriend just kind of sat on my knee, like, which was like, my God, it's like sitting at lunchtime in, the, in, in, in high school, year seven. Oh, wow. Just sat on my knee and my leg went dead. <laughs> and then I couldn't feel my foot and I didn't want to tell her to get off. Like it wasn't like, oh, she was heavy. It's just I had no circulation in my leg. <laughs> and then when she got up, the bell went, she I couldn't walk. <laughs> I literally couldn't move my leg. <laughs> I had to sit there and rub the circulation back into my leg. The things we do for love. Um, I love her. But the, here's the thing, guys. The, the idea of a, attainment is there's this moment in Cool Runnings where he says, if you're not enough without the medal, you will never be enough with the medal. Mm. And he's talking about John Candy, RIP, big comedian, big guy, very funny guy, died of a massive heart attack, no surprise. Um, he cheated and that's why he wasn't a successful – he cheated – when he was in the Olympics, his character cheated. And so this gets thrown in the faces of the players that their coach was a cheater. And the captain says, man, why did you cheat? And he's like, I just wanted to win so badly. He wanted the attainment so much. He's willing to compromise his integrity. Yeah, TJ Dillashaw. <laughs> Take that EPO. Hey, man, if you're going to dope, EPO is the way. Just saying. Side effects are very low. But – you get the fitness, but so it's but so I hear you. So it's like we, we we get really driven by getting to that landmark or that milestone, and then when you get there, it's like well, your life doesn't actually change. Yeah, you, it's confronting. Yeah, once that initial kind of elation of achieving the milestone has worn off, it's like oh well, fuck. I thought I was. I tell you a good example for me. Sure. Actually, I was having a conversation with a friend of ours, John Marsh. Yeah, uh, legend. Who, who doesn't, uh, great guy, doesn't really know much about jiu-jitsu and, and we were talking about it and he's like, oh, you know, when do you think you're going to get your black belt? And we we're talking about that. And he was like, wow. And, and I can't remember how it came up, but I was explaining to him how, like even once I get to black belt, I'd still get my ass kicked by like a world champion blue belt. Sure. And he was I like- I don't think that's true, but sure. Oh, mate. Yeah, Okay. You know, but, but, say, but well, yeah, there's levels. Yeah, like if you're highly competitive and that training at that level, right, you're going to be a real handful no matter where someone sure. else is at. And he was like, he was a bit perplexed by that, but he's kind of, and, and he was thinking like, 
but once you're a black belt, should, shouldn't that just mean that you are like you're kicking made. everyone's ass? And I'm like, that's the illusion of it. That's mm. what you kind of think. I was thinking about relevant to that when we we're talking about this podcast. I was at training on Monday night, training with a lot of white belts, and I had fucking tough roles. Yeah. We were doing a bunch of live drilling, live sparring, and the guys were putting it on me. Joe Rush wire. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> thank, thank God Joey Rush wasn't there. <laughs> I, yeah, but I was like, these guys are bringing the heat. Young Joey at Blue and Purple Belt probably was under the illusion that he would never be touched by a white belt sure. or a blue belt because I'm above that. Yeah. But the case is, it's like, no, it's always hard. Yes. Like, it never gets to the point where you're like fucking – McDojo, like, uh, use the force. Yeah, just tai Chi. Psh. Yeah. But in the beginning, I think when you're a white belt, you're thinking, man, when I get to blue belt, like, none of these guys are going to be fucking with me anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be on another trajectory. Yeah, I'm on another level. And all of, and very quickly, you go back to your first training session and they're coming at you even harder. Harder. Because they want to show the coach, I'm a fucking blue belt. I can beat that blue yeah. belt. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit. Like you're almost worse than you were the yeah. week before when you were at the end of your white belt. And there is a crisis of conscience. And I've seen this so many times. And this is the thing that you get from being in the game for a while is you see someone either kind of swell into that blue belt. You see someone get their blue belt and they boss up. And you're like, whoa, this person's like, they're letting you know I'm the blue belt. And then some people shrink. People are like, God, so much expected of me now. Like I'm actually... I'm actually, there's some expectation for me to hold a certain level. Whereas when you're a white belt, even if you've got a couple of stripes, you're a white belt. You're kind of free in that way. But definitely, and this is the thing, I, my misconception about getting my black belt was, not that I thought it was going to have magical powers, but I just thought I'm going to have a certain level of understanding by the time I'm a black belt. And I, I didn't. Like, I, yeah, I, I had accumulated a certain amount of knowledge, but there were brown belts who tapped me and I'd be like, yeah. And then, and then I just think there's a hole in my knowledge. And because you're a black belt, you have to show up. You can't not show up. If you're a white belt and you have a bad day, no one cares. You're a white belt. Your life's going to suck a lot for a long time until you get up. But then when you're a blue belt, it's coupled with that idea of, well, you're not a white belt anymore. You know, you've got to put, you gotta put your, your big person gear on and you, gotta, you actually have to bring a degree of level and, and, and people don't like this. It's got to, in a way, like what you just said about how you felt about when you got your black, it's got to be the equivalent situation for them. Yes. Like they're feeling, it's, it's their black belt and they're like, oh my God, like how, how you know, Happen. I should be doing better. Yes. But the, but the truth is this, guys, and this is the attainment versus process. And this is the thing I wanted to open with is that, you, and you will see it. This is a, a lesson I take from Joe Worthington, the few the few lessons. I'm putting up 2022 mentorship program. <laughs> One of my greatest uh, disciples right here. Please apply. <laughs> well, if you would like to train with uh, his trainer uh, that gets him strong, feel free to uh, just message me. No, I think the thing is this, guys. Joe is very process-oriented. He's a day in, day out. What are we doing today? What are the actionables? Let's do those things. I understand that those things are important but they're fucking boring. It's so boring. It's like, I want to talk exciting things. I want to talk about jujitsu robots. You know, I want to talk about the fucking future. I feel like Kanye West. I've got synesthesia. I'm, I'm hearing colors. 
I can see sounds. <laughs> like I am so far in the future. You guys don't understand. Joe's like, bro, calm down. Yeah. Let's just talk about like, that. Have you tied your shoelaces this morning? Have we done yes the emails? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah, I tied my left and my right. Yeah, it's, it's the way. <laughs> this is how it looks in the future, all right? You can see people doing things in their day-to-day lives which are very ordered and organized. But when they come to jiu-jitsu, it's just chaos. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's my free time. I don't want to think. I don't want to be organized. But if you can be process-oriented, which is when I show up, I do my warm-up, I bring my water bottle, I do all these things, even though that seems boring – that builds to success. So if you actually want to be good at this thing, you get focused on the little things in the day in and day out and the process and just know that winning and losing are you know, either side of the coin, the yin and the yang, of a process of development and that losing to a white belt, even though you're a blue belt, that might suck. You've got to go, that white belt is on one and I'm having a bad day. And then on another day, you might be kicking ass and you're a blue belt and you tap a purple belt. Or maybe they were having a bad day, you weren't having a good day. There's so many variables there that you need to be able to step back from the emotion of it and the I'm a blue belt and the ego and the attainment and go, what is this process? And understand that blue belt is just a step within the process of getting good at jujitsu. When you start jujitsu, I've spoken about this before, there's a short-term aspect to your like a short-term perspective that you have. And that is oh, James and I started at the same time, like two months ago, so we're probably going to get our first stripe soon. And then, together, you know, and then that's happening. And, oh, but so-and-so was already here, so they've got three stripes. Maybe and better. You know, and then someone gets their blue belt and you're like, oh, fuck, you know, why didn't I? Or, or you get yours and they're like, why not? And, and as a coach, and I mean, I don't coach a lot of jiu-jitsu, but I've had a lot of these conversations where people are like, fuck, I haven't been showing up. I need to get, you know, so-and-so got their stripe. I need to get my stripe or their blue belt. And it's like you, you're like you looking at every single session and every minute of the day and like how do I stay on par with these people? Mm. You get to my fucking level, 14, 13, 14 years of jiu-jitsu, I've seen people go from white belt to brown belt in the same amount of time that I've had my brown belt. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I just don't give a fuck. I'm like, yeah. I'm like wow, how about that? Good for you. Because I could – I mean, you know, if I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, I almost quit a few times and – as you get further down the path, you just that whole like micro observation of the timeline is just obliterated. And it, it, all of a sudden, it, it just becomes about you and your journey. That's right. And I think that at that blue belt time, for most people, not for the people who have been like 10 years of white belt, but for most people who are, it's pretty early on in the piece for them, they're still looking at that micro timeline. Yes. And so you're expecting rapid, progressive growth and you're still comparing yourself to your training partners like day in and day out. Yeah. And I think kind of what you're getting at is like, don't fucking worry about that. Like you have to take this long-term view, which is essentially looking at the process and applying yourself to that. I'm just going to show up, keep training, do my best, yeah. you know, be consistent. That's, that's the goal. Yeah, I definitely agree. But this is where I want to move from, move from the something which I guess we, we all know in our hearts, it's not the sexiest thing, you know? We want rewards. We want dopamine. We want to feel like we're getting better. All of these things. The difficult thing with this is as you get better, others get better. And if you train at a hyper-competitive gym, and I, I did, you know, I was training at Absolute in St Kilda, very intense environment with the pros. If you take a week off, you come back and everyone's doing something new. You're like, what's this new thing? oh, yeah, we were just talking about this and everyone drilled this and now this is a new part of the paradigm. You're like, God, I'm playing catch-up. And 
you know, even if it's a month off, it can be like that. You come back and people have gotten, but people that you were beating multiple times are now they're, they're kicking your butt. And, and this is the difficult thing. It doesn't mean that you're that much worse. It just means they have improved whatever. And, and the problem with this is the expectation versus the reality. We expect if we as individuals show up the same amount of time every week, put in, you know, and I don't know what you're doing outside of training. You don't know what I'm doing. Maybe, I mean, for us we do. But when you're looking across the room at another person of the same rank, you're not built the same. You don't learn the same there's going to be different different lives. Different outcomes. Yeah. They've got a kid, you don't have a kid, they're 21, you're 38. Yeah. What, whatever whatever the situation might be, you need to understand that not all belts are the same and your expectation has nothing to do with the reality. So, I think it's this is important that your expectation of what a blue belt is and then you get it is very different to what the reality is. And the reality is the glory is, is short and the hard work is long. So, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to talk you guys out of this, right? Because we all understand if you're listening to this and you've done jujitsu, you've had your blue belt, maybe you're, you're creeping up on your purple and you're a blue belt who has not quit, you know what I'm talking about. You're in now, you know you want to take that next step to, to graduate towards the purple belt. You know that it's going to be similar. You get the purple now all the blue belts want to smoke you. Now all the white belts want to smoke you. Brown belts are a little bit fearful of you, so like, they're going man, harder. I don't, I, don't want this pur- I don't want this purple belt coming up on me. And black belt's like, there's no way I'm getting tapped by a purple belt. So yeah. you're stuck right in the middle. So if you're taking that step from blue to purple, it gets even harder. But that said, if you have cultivated a process for just you know, improving yourself, working on your own technique, and not getting caught up in this expectation of, oh, I should be better I'm better than them. This comparison game, that is super important. And it's like as soon as you're just focused more on how you're going and just am I getting better, am I learning, that's the key thing. Not am I better than them, am I better than me six months ago. And if you can say yes, then you know you're on the right track. Yeah, I'm sure the statistics would show that if you do get to purple, you're probably likely to continue on to black. You're in the game. That would be the case. You're too deep. <laughs> because by the time you're there, you've you've come to understand a lot of this stuff and you do have a process and, you, and you're like, ah, this takes whatever it takes and I'm just doing the thing. Yeah. That would be interesting to see some numbers on. I saw – it was very funny. I thought of this recently, in, um, maybe a month ago, and I'm like, oh, I gotta, we've got to talk about this. We've got to you know, put some, something out there relevant to this. And then popped up on my Instagram, which was incredible because I didn't even verbalise it. Well, are you sure that – but is Instagram reading your thoughts through your phone? Potentially, likely. <laughs> um, and it popped up a, a graph of like, uh, it was kind of like, you know, it was a bit of a meme, but it was like what you kind of, how you perceive your jiu-jitsu at the different belts. And it was like white belt, like I'm just getting smashed. And, and then it was like blue belt, I know fucking everything. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, boom, like the line just goes straight down and then it's like purple, brown, black. Yeah. And I'm like, that is exactly me. Like I, I thought I knew jiu-jitsu. And I had a game and I was super athletic and just went really hard. And I gave everyone a hard time. And looking back, I think about it relevant to how I now train against blue belt stuff. And it's, 
yeah, you give people a hard time because usually they're not that concerned about you. Yeah. You know, and then you get, you know, and then like me, I like started like fucking rolling like a tornado. They're like, I'm going to put this kid in his place. Sure. Put a bit of smash on. But I don't think about the last two minutes of the round where they beat the shit out. I'm just thinking, <laughs> man, I was giving that guy a hard time for the first three yeah. minutes, you know. Or you can remember. Yeah, that's right. Actually, so, it's a lot like when Joey and I roll. I might have submitted Joey once or twice, had position the whole roll, and he's like, bro, how do you like that single leg I hit on you? And I was like, dude, it was one takedown. It was, an eight, when, it was an eight minute roll. Like, what are you talking that's about? That's when JT brings out the ledger and he's like, um, well, no, Joey, uh, I've tapped you 17 to times in the last three months. Uh, you've tapped me. I'm like, oh, who's counting, bro? Bro, who's not counting? What are you talking about? Trust me, once you get that black belt and you've got uppity brown belts trying to tell you like they, until they get the strap, until they get that fascia preta, nah. Can't let it fly. But let me just on that last piece, like that acknowledgement that you think you know everything. And I kind of still thought I knew everything at Purple Bell. Like that was all a bit of a blur. But that line that drops down to that point where you think you know everything down to, oh, fuck, uh, I don't know anything. Yeah. Like I got a couple moves and that's it. Yeah. And a couple of, you know, fundamentals. That is where this problem lies, where people are like, fuck. It's like getting hit by a freight train. You're like, Man, I'm, I, I got such a long fucking way to go. I'm shit at this. Like that's yeah. what it boils down to. You're like, I'm not good at jiu-jitsu. I thought I was really good and I'm not. Yeah, and I think this is the biggest challenge that faces people. Their, their first big hurdle in jiu-jitsu, obviously you overcome the squash and, and the pressure and all of that to go, yeah, I mean, I want to keep doing this. You do it for two years, maybe three years, however long it takes you to get that blue belt. And it doesn't matter. Even if you're a humble person, you, you're thinking to yourself – this is a certification or this is an acknowledgement that I am better than or I have improved X amount. But the truth is or the, the reality is it is acknowledgement of the work you have put in but not all blue belts are the same and you might go train at another gym and your blue belt maybe doesn't stand up. And that can, that can be embarrassing because – you, it turns your world upside down because people were telling you, hey, man, you've gotten better, you're good. And you go somewhere else where they don't care about your feelings and you're getting your day wrecked. That can make you go, you know what? Fuck jiu-jitsu. I've, I gave four good years to this. I need this shit. I'm a blue belt. Man, I'm, I'm going to tell people what, when I'm at the USC barbecue, I'm like, Fuck, I wouldn't have done the go-go platter like that. <laughs> That's one of the submission I use, that and buggy chokes. Yeah, man. Buggy choke, <laughs> buggy choke to counter a buggy choke. That's what Eddie Bravo told me at his seminar. <laughs> but uh, guys, seriously, when, when we move to the next thing, and I think this is where we're going to talk a little bit more about learning and, and why this comparison, you know, they say comparison is the thief of joy, that the competitiveness about the need to win can really kill your learning. Because when you play your A game all the time, like you've got a game, Say you've got a good half guard game or you've got a really good takedown pass game, uh, uh, armbar, whatever it is. You're like, I've got my game. I know that I can hit this on most of everyone. And you just don't want to lose. you got your blue belt. I don't want to lose. I'm just going to prove I'm better than these white belts and I'm, I'm tough. You know, you feel the need to prove yourself. Because you get stuck playing your A game because you're so competitive, you don't develop. You know, it's, it's true. And we see it all the time. People who are really good at one thing. I still do it. I, I was I, actually, that was me faux talking. That was just, <laughs> just describing Joe's whole game. I catch myself doing it all the time. Well, and yeah, like, I, me too. Going back to, to what I'm really good at here. Yeah. For sure. That's, a, that's something you have to keep. Like you, you have to actively but, go, no, I've got to work on some shit. Yeah. It's kind of easy too. It's not even, totally. it's, it's not even about 
oh, I have to win. It's just like, what is your default mode? So it's you, go efficient. To your, yeah. you go to your subconscious game because you've, you've, maybe you've got five, six, eight hard roles you have to have. You don't want to think about what you're doing. You just want to do the thing and, and, and be able to roll well. And the challenge, and this takes a, a bit of maturity, is to go, you know, I actually suck at side control, getting out of side control. Hey, man, you want to start on side control? I'm just going to work this bad boy. And just spending a bit of time there teaches you that you can get out of there and you can be safe there even though it's not great. I think the thing for me was I, for a long time, was like, I want to be a competitor. I want to be a champion. I want to be better than everyone. This is a, a real thing. And my game got really stuck. At Purple Belt, my game got really stuck. Like, this is my game. This is the game I play. And then I got caught out in situations, particularly stand-up, because most of my game when I first started jiu-jitsu was guard. I just didn't have anything. Didn't have judo. Didn't really have wrestling. If I swept, I had a few passes up the sleeve, but I would just always go to guard. And it's just not good enough, especially when you come up on your brown belt. And I said, all right, I'm going to learn some stand-up. And that's what got me very motivated to wrestle and start learning judo and, and do that. And, and it just it changed my jiu-jitsu. I sucked but it meant I had a good developmental phase. So when I came to Black Belt, I was more well-rounded. And yeah, I learned heaps and I enjoyed learning. It was one of those things like going to judo, being a white belt again, that was actually cool because there was no expectation on me. And we can choose to do this mentally. You know, we don't have to put this pressure, I'm a blue belt, so I've got to, you know, I'm a purple, like you're just a person. I need to show them all. Yeah, you got to learn. You got to learn. And really the person who's most successful is the person who's, shortening up their learning loop and, and getting better and, and being competitive and playing your A game can really kind of hold, limit that and hold that back. As a, like a practical measure for folks hearing this, like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do more of that. The, uh, the other side of the coin is that you do also have to train hard sometimes and go to, like, go to your A game yep. and be hyper competitive and not concede points like that, you know, more sort of competition sort of oriented training. And I would argue like that's probably like when we train together, you, me, Adam, sure. it's more like that. Yeah. It's like I'm just not going to concede anything and yeah. I got, because we're, we're playing at a different level. Definitely. How does someone navigate that? Say someone's at Blue Belt. Would you recommend that they do – they try to use both approaches in the same training session or would you say, hey, maybe in one session do this, the other, you know? I guess this is how I'd frame it. Any technique has to stand up under pressure or load. So if it's like a squat, you know, you might squat really well at, you know, about your body weight, like a back squat. But then once you incrementally get more than that, maybe your technique starts to fall apart, knees, cave, back rounds, whatever. So there's a threshold at which you can squat quite well. And then there's a threshold at which your technique will break down. The, tr- the same is true of jujitsu. You know, it's that classic line, huh, I always hit this on white belts, which basically means this works on people who don't know jujitsu. You know, like that's... And, and this, so if you are a blue belt and you're like, how do I develop? It is good for you to probably do things that you're less comfortable with, with less capable people so that you, you know that like they're, they're not going to just kill you if you make mistakes. Whereas when you're going up against higher rank people or someone who you know is your direct nemesis in training, we all have that nemesis, like you're evenly matched same weight, you probably compete against each other, you know, whatever it is, you don't compete against each other, but you just... You might even look like each other and some people of those nemesises are even in business together. <laughs> Crazy. I know. Yeah. It, who who'd have thought it was like even a possible? Fucking, it's like being in a boiling kettle together every day. I yeah. can only imagine. Yeah, it's difficult, but you've just got to overcome your differences to uh, allow the lower belts to survive. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
the key thing here, guys, is to realize there's times to pohada. Like there is time. You, it's good for you to have one or two wars, like absolute fight to the death, and you are playing your A game. But if you don't experiment a bit, let yourself get into a bad situation, like what I mean is like not let them, but the person passes, you stay calm there, work from there. They get your back, you got to get out of there. If you don't allow yourself to work on things that you're not good at, you will never get above that level. Yeah, it's, it's just super simple. And, and you can see it in life. You see people who are really good at one thing, so they just do that forever to a point that they don't keep developing. And then they're, they're kind of stuck. And that's a challenging thing. That's a probably more challenging thing to see in someone's career than jujitsu. But people might do jujitsu longer than they're in a job. So, Great point. You know, like we, I don't know if you know, but like, like if you know someone specifically, Joe, but I know a guy who was in his white belt for, I think, six years before he got his blue belt. And, and he was training consistently the whole time? Yeah, but he, he also changed gyms a bunch and he yeah. was also just like a jerk. And so I don't think anyone wanted to grade him. Right. <laughs> but anyway, he became a world champion Holy as shit. a white belt. But he was six years on that thing. Yeah. He should have been purple belt. <laughs> but it, I mean, that said, it really depends on a person's ability to see the way forward. And if they can't see the way forward, then maybe they want to quit. That's a, just on your comment there, like you should have been a purple belt. If he, you know, like he, he could have been a purple belt. He could have been a purple belt, yeah. But it's, you know, you, you got to, I guess it's that thing where it's like, yeah, maybe you do, you know, you change gyms because the gym you're at, it, it's not working for you. Mm. And then you kind of reset back to the start. And it's like, well, so be it. If you're enjoying it more here, that's a good decision to have made. Yeah. You know, there's so many things that come into it like that. It's even like, I remember at the last comp I was at, watching a guy compete at Blue Belt and uh, I was talking to Kel, yeah. a guy that we know, Savage Black Belt. And uh, he's like, oh, check this guy out here. This guy was a world champion judo fighter. Oh. And he's like, like watch him. And this guy just fucking destroyed Ooh. his entire division. Rough. Like threw them and then it was hyper aggressive, like armbar from the top, whatever, repeatedly. And it's like- Guy's a fucking judo black belt and highly competitive. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Like maybe, you know, like he's going to be a handful. So there's so much nuance to it. And I think the big takeaway from what we're talking about is like, don't put that pressure on yourself. I I know for many years when I showed up to training as a blue and purple belt, I put so much pressure on myself to perform. Mm. And, you know, man, it was a hobby for me. It's something I'm turning up after a long day of work sometimes to train. Yeah, sure. Some days I'm turning up and I want to get after it. Sometimes I'm just there. I'm like, hey, I just want to tick the box. I want to get my training in today and, you know, show up for the team and that kind of thing. And when you put that pressure on yourself, like I have to fucking win every role. I cannot concede anything. You make life really hard for yourself. Yeah. I think it can work for some people. A lot of folks and very, you know, in terms of what we're talking about, like why blue belts quit, I think that that self-imposed pressure yeah. and that fucking micro analysis, yeah, that self-judgment is what makes them quit. Definitely. And- this is a quote I heard not even that long ago, but it makes sense, which is nobody's watching, nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we tell ourselves, and you know, me too, me too. Like I, I always put way too much emotional investment and importance on all the little things I do because that gets me fired up to do them. But that's just me kind of coaching myself and getting myself switched on for it. But at the end of the day, no one else knows what I'm doing. You know, like maybe you guys kind of know a little bit, but in terms of my life and what I do day to day, no one's really paying attention. And the truth is it's only as important as I say it is. It's not necessarily that important to other people. 
So if I say, this is the most important thing in the world, if I don't get this, I'll never be happy, that's a choice I've made. But if I can take perspective and go, you know what, this is a small step in a bigger process and I'm just going to keep taking the steps, then I can be calmer about it. And guys, that, that's what it really comes down to is knowing that if you're on this BJJ path, it will take a little while and that yes, you could train for four years and still not be very good, <laughs> but that's actually great. Because that means there is a universe of improvement for you that doesn't get old and doesn't get stale. You know, like you, there's so many layers to it. And what's great about that is once you go through that process and you come to this understanding, you can then share it with another blue belt who might easily quit. On that note, if you know a blue belt who hasn't shown up to the gym <laughs> for a long time... Please share this episode with them. Yes, this is the perfect episode. <laughs> yeah. And we say this with no sense of malice or like, but small, small degree of mockery. But it's one of those things that, guys, if you've hit blue belt, stay on the path. Like it's worth it. It is worth it. I don't care what you say. Even if you can only train one day a week, enough to stay in touch, your life will be better with a little bit of jujitsu in it. Even if you're not trying to be a world champion or you can't see, you know, a clear path to your black belt. Stay connected because you never know what that might do for you down the track. Yeah, I second that. Now, a thing that is coming up is uh, posters. The oh. posters are coming out. Yes. So you may have heard us mention this before, guys, but we have our exercise posters, our mo- mobility posters, and we will be putting these out in the world. God, these are like we have two posters. One is warm-up. So it's our top exercises that you would do before you start jiu-jitsu. And then it's cool down. So the top things you would do after. And the beauty is if you're a coach, you can have them on the wall of your gym and your stu- you can like students, go, hey guys, let's do three of these. Or students coming in can just start their own warm up like before the class begins. They've got something to follow. There's a reference. Um, but you've also got material. If you need shit to make your warm ups a bit more uh, appropriate for jujitsu, go, oh, I'm going to do some of the shit from the poster. Yeah. Really good resource. And then further to that, if you just got a home gym and you want some ideas and you want some stuff on the wall that's going to help make your training sessions better, they're perfect for that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we will be doing a bit of a the pre-sale window. So it's just we're going to get the orders in and then it will stop. Yeah. And so we will look to time this here and there throughout the year. But this is limited time. Get in quick. Yeah, get the orders in. Orders need to be placed. We're going to set it. You'll see a date on the webpage, but go to bulletproofofbjj.com. You'll see the posters there in the uh, shop section and then we'll be ordering them up. Beautiful. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in. We definitely appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. Cheers, everyone. Cheers.